Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. David Fortney, and welcome to another edition of the DC Insider Employer Update. Great to have both Nita and Bert with us today. Nita, how are you doing? I'm really excited to talk about all this litigation. It's crazy. You know, Nita, that's a hardcore lawyer that's excited about litigation, but uh, I hear you. Bert, how about you? How are you? Well, I'm not sure excited is the right word. I'm kind of overwhelmed, but let's. I'm looking forward to talking about it. I'm still sort of enjoying Thanksgiving and had a nice kind of holiday buzz on until all this stuff hit this week. But let's jump into that a little bit because I keep wanting and hoping that we're going to stop talking about vaccinations and COVID response. And I know our clients feel that same way, but honestly, and we drive a lot of our content based on kind of the issues that we're dealing with every day with our clients. And we just don't seem to be able to fully turn the page on COVID, which is a real challenge and continues to be a challenge. And as you both indicated, now we have the litigation. Before we had a whole slew of regulations that came forward, but now we're seeing the litigation and that's proving, I think, uh, an equal challenge. One of the things that I thought would be worth trying to do is just try to recap a little bit about what has gone on. And I think, and we'll, we'll jump into each one of these, let me just sort of start as kind of an overview. You know, we're looking at all these federal court litigation, dozens of cases and dozens and dozens of parties that are filing claims in the courts. At this point, the scorecard is uh, we have the federal contractor mandate that we've talked about. That's been enjoined, and we're going to talk about that in a very significant decision. We have the OSHA ETS. Uh, emergency temporary standard. Looks like that's going to drag on for weeks, and that's uncertain. We have changes on CMS, and the states themselves keep enacting a whole slew of things. So the landscape, the legal landscape is cloudy and complicated, I think, for most people. I mean, almost everyone in our mix, Nita, are federal contractors. So let's start with the development on those, because they had that vaccine mandate. It wasn't testing or vaccination. They had to get everyone vaccinated. What's happened there? Well, what's really complicating all of this is there are currently seven cases pending, uh, one right here in St. Louis where I am. But on this week, the Eastern District of Kentucky, the federal district court there, issued a preliminary injunction which blocked the vaccine mandates for federal contractors in three states, Ohio, Tennessee, and Kentucky. The appeal, interestingly, Uh, David and Burt, will be to the Sixth Circuit, which is where the ETS litigation has all ended up. So, David, what about the CMS, which is the health vaccine mandate? Right. That's for recipients. Recall that back on September 9th, President Biden initiated three approaches to workplace vaccination requirements. The OSHA regulation, the federal contractor mandate, 
and also these regulations for recipients of Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid funding, very broad, uh, CMS uh, vaccine mandates. Well, those mandates also have been enjoined. And Nita, you're living in the hotspot. It's kind of ground zero. Once again, that federal district court there in St. Louis issued a very broad injunction, a ruling that says that that mandate can't be enforced, this time in 10 different states. So I want to keep in mind, I want you to sort of in your mind's eye be building this patchwork, which states are red, which are green, which ones are enjoined, which ones can go forward. So now we have 10 additional states in which the CMS, the Medicare Medicaid funding regulation has been enjoined. Then right after that, not to be outdone because it almost feels like it's a competitive exercise between these courts, the federal court, a district court down in Louisiana, down in New Orleans, Eastern District, uh, Louisiana said, I'm going to issue the same injunction, but not for 10 states, for the entire country under this CMS standard. So effectively at the moment, the CMS obligation, the vaccine mandate is blocked nationwide for all states. And what's interesting, David, is on appeal, both the Louisiana decision and the Missouri decision are going to go to courts that are not very favorable. The Fifth Circuit, which we talked about before, issued the initial injunction against the ETS. And the Eighth Circuit has one either active or senior judge appointed by a Democrat. There's another player, and it's going to be more important, uh, and we'll talk about why the states have become so important in a minute. Uh, but the states, to use your description, Nita, they seem to be in competition. We have individual states now taking action, trying to supervene the federal government. There are bans against vaccine mandates of any kind in Arkansas, Alabama, Florida, Iowa, North Dakota, Utah, Tennessee, West Virginia, Montana. There are similar, not quite as sweeping proposals being proposed in Ohio, Texas, Missouri, and others. So if you're a multi-jurisdictional employer, just think about the kind of calculus you have to do to figure out, well, okay, I can't impose a federal standard if I'm in these three states for a federal contractors, but what if I have an operation in another state? Do I follow the federal rule that hasn't been enjoined? Or because the federal notion of preemption, which, David, you're going to talk about in a minute, seems to be teetering, do I follow the state law that bans me entirely? These are the kinds of burdens that no employer ever dreamt that they'd be having to deal with, and now almost every employer has to. You know, the other thing that just kind of adds it all into the mix, and, and we're just at the end of the week looking at these developments is the federal budget. And it's like, what? I mean, we've been focusing on the courts. This kind of feels like out of left field. But the federal government has been operating this current federal fiscal year on what's called a continuing resolution. That just means they rolled over and continued last year's budget because surprise, surprise, they couldn't agree on a new budget. Well, that extension, that continuing resolution is scheduled to expire Friday, December 3rd at midnight. Now, in normal times, the parties, if they can't agree on a new budget, they just agree pro forma to roll it over and extend it further. In this case, to get through the holidays and come back and negotiate. Well, now we have several uh, members of the U.S. Senate, particularly led by Senator Mike Lee from Utah, who has said, look, I'm not going to agree to a new budget, even an extended uh, rollover, 
unless we defund OSHA's enforcement of the ETS. And in practical terms, what that means is the entire federal government could be shut down uh, Friday at midnight unless uh, either Senator Lee recedes from this approach and insisting on that term, or we'll see. So once again, these issues continue to really pose a very, very challenging dynamic. Well, Bert, I mean, there's this whole hodgepodge, you know, kind of long menu of all these developments, but is that case we just touched on briefly down in Kentucky involving the federal contractors? This is a really important case, and I hope you guys will give me a minute because there's so many facets to it, and they have so many implications. The basic point is that the case enjoined the executive order uh, imposing a federal mandate on federal, a vaccine mandate on federal contractors. And this decision, along with the Fifth Circuit's decision on the ETS, they're not only important for what they say and the kind of limitation they impose on the federal government to confront a widening pandemic. It's the rationales, it's the reasons the court got to these conclusions that I think are so important. In each case, the courts rule that the executive branch overstepped its constitutional authority by issuing these particular health and safety mandates. So with respect to federal contractors, which is the Kentucky case, the judge ruled that the underlying statute, Federal Property Administrative Services Act, which authorizes the executive branch of the government to regulate everybody who does business with the government, can't be stretched to encompass a health and safety regulations because those kinds of regulations are too tenuously related to the core purpose of the act, which is to the efficiency of procurement. That position seems to overlook two generations of decisions that have permitted the government to regulate price controls, anti-discrimination rules, and it even overlooks the fact that President Reagan issued an executive order in 1986, establishing the drug-free workplace, a health and safety regulation. So the point that I'm deriving, it's not just health and safety, it's this health and safety mandate. And that's terribly important because the rationale that the court uses actually threatens the regulatory system that supports the work of probably everyone listening to this podcast. At the root of the decision, is a doctrine that challenges the so-called administrative state. You've all heard about it. It's been the kind of uh, bete noire of the conservative verse for the last 20 or 25 years. The doctrine is called the non-delegation doctrine, and it asserts that Congress cannot delegate certain of its responsibilities to the executive branch. To say that the roots of this doctrine are obscure is to put it mildly. And it reached its most famous or infamous peak in the Supreme Court's rulings that undermined the New Deal in 1935. It's back. The legal underpinnings of this case and the ETS case provide the template for successful challenges to vaccine mandates. And because they're challenging the federal governments, uh, the executive branch's right to extend its authority into this realm of uh, our lives. It limits the federal government's ability to regulate, frankly, across the board. I mean, just think 
the fact that the dissenter in the Kentucky opinion had to find a way of protecting affirmative action, which of course is an executive order, tells you how far the potential reach of this decision is. It could go to EPA, it could go to OSHA, Wage and Hour, EEOC. That gives you a sense of the implications of this decision. And David, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but why don't we talk a bit about how this affects people's lives in the contracting world? Well, it does. And, and of course, we have six other cases pending, and we anticipate they're likely, many of them are likely to follow the reasoning that's been adopted here. So at the moment, we have these three states, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, in which the federal contractor obligations cannot be enforced. Interestingly, in Tennessee, which prohibits the imposition of a vaccination mandate, contractors had to get an exception under the state law in order to comply with the federal contract. And Tennessee was granting those exceptions. Tennessee actually felt that the federal contractor obligations trumped or or superseded their state law, and they were willing to grant exceptions. Interestingly, within a matter of an hour after the court issued this decision, Tennessee contacted employers and said, you know that exception we issued to you earlier? It's hereby rescinded. You are no longer authorized as a carve-out from Tennessee law. You're prohibited from imposing a vaccine mandate. So it isn't just that you're no, the contractor obligations don't apply, but now you're fully subject to our state law requirements. And again, Bert, as you indicate, for multi-state employers, the legal landscape, I mean, our clients are just like, what are we supposed to do? Because most clients don't divvy up their operation or put them into a state-by-state silo. They may have regions, geographic regions. Those are almost always multi-state areas. And so therefore, designing policies and compliance efforts, I think, is going to be really, really challenging. I think the most difficult thing, and this is also in the Fifth Circuit decision, it's also in the CMS decision, basically is back to to Bert's point about the non-delegation. The implication of these judges in these cases is that Congress has to specifically provide to the executive the particular question, the particular guidance that they're seeking. And certainly that has not been what Congress has been doing for the last 50 years, to be perfectly honest. That's correct. So people understand the president can't just do anything he or she wants to. The president's not a king, as the courts have pointed out. The president only can generally in these matters exercise authority delegated, given to it by Congress. And so Bert's point earlier about the procurement statutes have always been read very broadly. This seems to be, I'll call it a selective reading for purposes of a vaccine mandate. But if it's not a selective reading, then all of these other widespread points could come to play. Yeah, I think the danger, the kind of fear that all of us have is that although this was, these decisions were clearly directed at a vaccine mandate, which is a hot button political issue, the way the cases were written, the legal rationale of these decisions is so broad and is so far reaching that it could undermine the role of the federal government to regulate in a number of areas. And that's the concern that many of us have. And on top of that, these cases are going to clearly go up. We know where the Fifth Circuit stands. We don't know where the Sixth Circuit stands, but it's heavily Republican. 
to a new Supreme Court, which I believe is emboldened, to believe that states' rights trump the federal government. So that could have a profound effect on federal enforcement of laws. Just to add to that, Justice Gorsuch is the leader of the non-delegation movement. He's written extensively as a lawyer, as a law student, as a judge, and now as a justice. And we can look to him to be the leader of this interpretation of how the federal government should work. Let's talk about kind of what we do at this point, because I hear you. We've got, I mean, this case now is still a district court case in Kentucky, but it could be a script for much bigger assault on the administrative state. We will see. But in the meantime, clients have a very practical problem. Those that have incorporated, for example, contract clauses have a January 18th deadline in which they are supposed to be having their entire workforce working on or in connection with the contract vaccinated. People are still trying to figure out what does OSHA ETS, is it or is it not part of it, et cetera. What do employers do in this absolutely topsy-turvy situation? Well, let me start with uh, one suggestion, and I'm hesitant to even suggest it, but for all employers, you're suddenly working in a non-federal environment. You have to check every state in which you do business to see the degree to which the applicable state law affects your right to do anything with regard to these vaccine mandates, whether it's CMS, whether it's federal contractor, whether it's OSHA. You have to look to see state by state what your obligations are and what your limitations are. And then I think the next thing, and we can see this with the president, the next thing is the president is looking at non-employment-based ways to attack this as we have the new variant uh, already in the United States. And oh, by the way, it's an individual who was vaccinated who came in with it. So we do have 92% of the federal workforce vaccinated at this point. And the president's looking at expanding the testing options, booster shots, and travel bans as a way to attack this rather than through vaccine mandates. So, Nita, that kind of feels to me like a plan B, right? I mean, plan A was through workforce, through these executive orders and regulations, and the courts haven't been receptive. So it feels more like a plan B a little bit to affect the general population more broadly. I don't know. You know, now our federal contractors that we do spend a lot of our waking time worrying about and trying to help, it is still a mess. I mean, honestly, because many of our clients have federal contract obligations today. Their contracts have been amended. They have new obligations. And unless and until those are fully enjoined by a court of competent jurisdiction and a final order entered, they're supposed to be complying. On the other hand, compliance requires extensive effort and resources, arranging for testing, purchasing testing, making the necessary arrangements, surveying, figuring out who is vaccinated, who's eligible to work how they're going to work, putting all the protocols in place. It takes weeks and months, actually, to get all those pieces in place in order to comply, which is what the original schedule envisioned. Do people keep doing that? We're finding as a practical matter, a lot of folks are saying, I don't want to quite, I want to slow roll it. Let's put it that way. One thing that uh, we talked about as a suggestion is to go to your contracting official, whomever that might be for your contracts, and say, look, we're not in 
Tennessee, Kentucky, or Ohio at this point in time. What do you recommend that we do? How much of what's in our vaccine mandate do we need to roll out? Give us some guidance because it's possible that tomorrow we could get a court out of one of the six that haven't ruled yet to put a preliminary injunction in place. That's correct. I mean, it's kind of bizarre. And one of the reasons it's so difficult is that everybody on this call is going to have to put their minds back a century. How would you deal with a government as it existed under the law in 1920 when states' rights really were the dominant mode? So for many employers that are multi-state and nationwide or broader, that 50-state patchwork is a really daunting environment. Of course, again, subject to Bert's point, subject to those state requirements and limitations, I should say, employers still are free either to think in terms of vaccine mandates and or testing, et cetera. So we don't have all the answers, but I think in the next two weeks, three weeks, I think by the end of December, a lot of this litigation is going to get sorted. My prediction is that a lot of these regulatory requirements are not going to make it to the finish line, that they're going to end up being cut, and we're going to be in a very different uh, compliance mode than we are at the moment. But we will see. All right. Well, both Bert, Nita, thank you very much. Another great discussion, and I really thank everyone. This is our 25th podcast. We just note, we thank everyone for listening to us. We've had over a 1,000 uh, people uh, download, and we appreciate you subscribing to us. So keep it there. We're going to keep it coming, and we really appreciate everyone listening. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting fortneyscott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.